Kaiser Cast episode 26. Today we have a really special guest. His name is Al Lurch. We know him as our packaging sales rep. Got to know him over all the years I've been working at Kaiser. Um, just a great guy uh, from the older generation. He, he would kind of like a grandpa figure to me in terms of age. And uh, our relationship first started out with obviously just dealing with business and packaging things and, and trying to get all that squared away when we first started powder coating, but uh, it turned into more of a friendship and he's one of the people that I actually like to see when he when he stops by. As most of you know, I don't really like it when reps stop by, but I do like seeing him. So we'll get to talking to him in a little bit. I have Chloe back with me this week, so the intro should be more interesting. Plus, we're doing kind of a new spin where we're going to talk about something that's not necessarily coatings related but something that maybe i'm passionate about or chloe's passionate about um this topic was my idea because it kind of got me fired up but i hope chloe gets fired up with me i mean yes i'm always fired up about this but to be honest i was very surprised like to hear you bring it up over the phone the other day i think yeah i guess we should talk about it and then we can and then i'll react so the one thing that has been, bothers me a lot is how so Abby is in the front office at Kaiser at like at, on campus. Okay, so she's dealing with all the customers that come in and out and off. So talking to them on the phone. Chloe works remotely, so she's not having to deal with the foot traffic per se, but she's on the phone with customers um, and also emailing back and forth. Um, Chloe maybe more deals with suppliers and vendors a little bit, and Abby deals more with our actual customers, especially general public. Um, and I just noticed, and it's always been this way um, from day one, but our customers and, and um, vendors and sales reps typically treat Chloe and Abby differently than me, but it's not in terms of like because I'm – an owner or manager and they're like an assistant it's because they're female and I'm male and it absolutely drives me nuts because they basically they don't believe what Abby and Chloe are saying um and so then they just want to get past them and they want to talk to me um and the reason why Abby and Chloe are there working is because they're really good at what they do and that's why I have them on the team and they're there to help us help customers better and help us move faster and do more work. The idea is to like have them help and not so everything doesn't have to run through me. So if they're given a, an answer to a question, whether it, maybe it's about a customer's asking about lead time and we've been really busy and they say eight weeks, then that's what it is. It's You're not going to be like, oh, well, I just need to talk to Jace or then email me or call my cell phone. Like, Jace, what's the actual lead time? It's eight weeks, like they said. Like, it's not that, <laughs> you know, they act like that you guys don't know what you're talking about. Um, but but you do, because I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't put anybody in our team in a position where they don't know what they're talking about and expect them to help a customer or deal with a vendor if they don't have the, if, we don't have the right answer, you know? So yeah. I, I trust you guys a hundred percent and, you know, I try to get customers to understand that, but I don't know. I just, it's really frustrating. And I feel like that, um, 
if it, it was two guys, if it was like Adam and Chad or something, I just feel like mm -hmm. it would be different. It just seems like it would yeah. be. Oh, I'm certain it would be. Um, and I know also, I just want to give Abby a shout out. She deals with this a lot more regularly than I do. Um, just because she is customer facing and um, has to give people bad news about lead time regularly. Yeah. Or, you know, about like, we don't, we don't have this color in stock that you're looking for, or no, we can't clear coat your part or whatever. Anytime she's telling someone no, um, she's going to get a lot more pushback than she probably would if she were a man. Yeah. Um, and it's just, which I think it's a big part of why we were, there was a time for a minute where you were considering taking on an, an executive assistant and we were, we were kind of suggesting that like maybe it could be a man because that person could actually take things off of your plate instead of just, you know, like putting them back on your plate because the customer wants to come talk to you anyway. And it's not like we can actually help you with that. Um, yeah, so. I know. And it's frustrating. And the reason why I thought about it and called you about it uh, yesterday was because it, ju it literally just happened. Like someone called and it was a simple question. They're asking about like if, there was um, on parts that they dropped off. Did they act, did they leave something behind? Like, was it still at our facility? Um, and, and Chloe or Abby took the call and then came and talked to me when I was back in the office and was like, "Hey, they think this is still here. Can you go look?" Right? Because Abby's not gonna mm -hmm. just take off out of the office to go look because then the office is empty. So like, she looped me in with which she should have, and so I went and looked and. No, I couldn't find anything. So I told Abby, like, no, it's it's not here. What they're asking for, it's not here. So, you know, you can call them back and tell them. And she did, but then they just didn't believe her. So they called back and 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 um got transferred to me because they were basically, you know, that's Abby didn't know like what else she's supposed to do. Keep telling them the same answer. So they transferred them to me, and then I told them exactly what I told Abby, and that's what Abby had already told them. But when I said it, then it was true. But when it came from Abby's mouth, it wasn't true. It was, and I was yeah. just like, and they, they weren't, the customer wasn't being surprisingly uh, mean about it, I didn't think. Um, most of them are or have an attitude about it. But I was just, I was just like, seriously? Like, why waste all that time? You know, you're getting the right answer, you know? And then it's right. even with, I guess maybe. I can kind of understand it a little bit if it's a new customer that's never worked with us because sometimes you just want a second opinion, whether male or female, um, to make sure that the person knows what they're talking about. But like even people that we deal with on a regular basis, some long-term customers, some of them still like would demand to see me and get really mad and storm, mm -hmm. storm out if they can't see me. And it's not because yeah. I don't. It's not, it's literally because I'm not available. You know, they just think right. that Abby's like making it up and saying, oh, he's not in his office. No, it's actually because I'm not in my office because I'm out like spraying powder that day. So it doesn't make right. sense for me to come over and answer a simple question, you know, that yeah. Abby knows the answer to because she just looked up at the production schedule and saw that, yeah, it's not going to be done until Friday. So you're yeah. not going to get any different answer from me. Like it, she's reading the my, the schedule that I made. <laughs> yeah. I think people maybe underestimate like how much all of us communicate with one another. Like you and I are on the phone every day. Abby and I are on the phone every day, multiple times a day, most days. Um, and like, we're very in tune with what's going on with each other. So when one of us says something, 
you know, unless we tell you, like, I'm not sure, let me get back to you. Um, if we say something, you know, authoritatively or with confidence, it's probably because we actually know what we're talking about. Yeah. And, and the um, funny thing is, is, to me, is that let's say a customer comes in and they really need to get something done. Let's say we don't even know them, just a general public customer. And like the eight-week lead time is not going to do for them, which I understand because that's really long. But they're being very adamant about it um, and that like, well, you know, can I talk to Jace or have Jace call me or whatever, you know. And in those instances, there could be, um, so like Abby will relay that information to me. But since they were so adamant and not being polite and basically, you know, continuing to reiterate that they wanted to talk to me because they weren't believing what they were hearing, then I'll just tell them exactly what you or Abby told them. If you told them eight weeks, then that's what I'm going to tell them. Little do they know if they would just be a nice, polite person about it and just say, well, if you can get it done faster, that would be great. And just you know, let me know if you can get it done faster, but otherwise the eight weeks is fine. More more than likely, I probably could have worked it in and would have worked it in, but if you're just going to be mean about it and act like Abby and Chloe don't exist or they, you know, they're, they're not worth anything, their, their opinion isn't worth anything or their knowledge isn't worth anything, then I'm not going to go above and beyond to to get something done faster we'll just go with our normal lead yeah. time and that's fine this ties in so well with a conversation with al i just think like a tiny amount of self-awareness and sensitivity goes a really long way no matter what you're doing if you're trying to sell if you're trying to like get services like if you show up um with an attitude of entitlement you're never going to get as far as if you show up with an attitude of like curiosity and interest and you know decency i don't know i don't know what the word is i'm looking for yeah. um self-awareness i think is what it boils down to yeah it's like just be nice so right being, yeah and it, i don't know it just i don't know how to change it it doesn't ever seem to get hardly any better i'm curious from your perspective is there anything abby and i like could or should be doing differently to sort of inspire that confidence is it something about the way that we present ourselves or is it you know, is it something we're not doing that we should be doing that you think might go over better with customers? I don't know. I, I do think that uh, lack of um, confidence in, in the answer is always, you know, anytime you leave in, uh, how do I want to say, you show just a little bit of weakness or a little bit of attentiveness, then most people like attack on that or leech onto that or immediately lose confidence, you know, but that's hard. Like it's hard, especially if they're asking a very specific question, but you know, I, I just kind of take it to the point of, um, at least the way that's even the way I handle stuff. If I don't know the answer, I just, you know, act as confident as possible. You know, I, I might not know the answer, but once I get off the phone, I'm just going to say what I think it is. And once I get off the phone call or get done dealing with that person in person, I'm going to go do my research and figure out that like, Oh, it's a little bit different than what I thought. And then I'll correct it if I need to. But I, you know, yeah. the less tentative 
because then they're like really believe what you're saying if you're being really like and that's anywhere you go if someone's like really like oh i'm not sure or it's um it doesn't happen anymore because you guys have been there long enough but when people first start when it when Abby first started and when you first started too, when you've only been there for a couple months, obviously you're going to be tentative and not confident. But the worst thing people can say, the very worst thing, and I learned this from my dad, he taught me this, is, is you never say, oh, I just started, so I'm not sure. Or, you know, you, you just never give that. Because right. I used to say that a lot when I was quoting. He would he pulled me aside one day and said, stop saying that. They don't need to know that. It doesn't matter that you just started. It's just stop. Because right when you do that, then people lose all confidence in you and, and will be a really long time before they will, you know, because now in their mind, they're like, this person doesn't know what they're doing. They're just started. So it's going to be years before they know what they're doing or something, you know? Yeah. It's an interesting balance. Cause like there are certain things that I can answer. For instance, if someone comes in and says, can you clear coat this part? Like no powder, just clear yeah. or no colored powder, just clear. Yeah. I can tell them like, no, we absolutely can't. We don't do that. But right. then if they're like, but why? Then it's like, well, I don't like, I can't explain this to you in a way that's going to yeah. make you feel confident, but I can tell you that, no, we don't do that. Yeah. Um, and so it's like this, you know, it's walking this fine line. Like I don't have the technical knowledge. I can't explain to them you know, how it's going to corrode or like why you're going to see it or whatever. Um, yeah. But I can tell them that, no, we're not going to clear coat it. So it's, right. it's odd. We have like our, our, our subset of knowledge is like limited. See, I got to do a better job of helping you build that knowledge for you guys. So you have, you know, because that's another yeah. reason why I can be confident in my own. But a lot of the time it's just like, you know, I know I'm, like on some of those hard questions that even I get, the actual answer, uh, for instance, if you use this clear coat topic, the act, if you, I can't really give a, uh, a good technical answer that proves why we can't do it. It would actually prove that we can do it. I just know that I don't want to do it. So I got, <laughs> you know, so, so I have answers for things, um, that, basically tell the customer i don't want to do this without telling the customer i don't want to do this you know what i mean and that's right and and so i those are the type of answers that i got to help uh you guys with um because it's hard to be since i know that i don't want to do it in my gut then it's then i already have a way how i want the conversation to go but um you guys or anybody on the team is going to approach a situation of like, yeah, we can do this and we can help you talking to the customer. Cause that's what we try to do is try to help the customer and solve problems. Right. So your first instinct is not going to be like, Oh, I don't want to do this because like, that's not the right mentality to have to be turning customers right. away constantly. So that's, you know, that's another difficulty of it, but you know, I don't know. It just gets, That, that that portion of it, it it's almost get, that's getting so specific and um it still boils back down to it no matter what gets said it just you know, you, they don't believe you guys they don't it's always oh I want to talk to Jace oh I want to talk to Jace and that's just frustrating to me yeah I'm trying to think of a job I've had where 
that hasn't been true along gender lines like that. Like, I think that's been true with almost everything I've ever done. And I'm curious um, if women are listening to this, um, if you could comment like your industry and whether this resonates with you. I'm curious if that's true across all industries or if there's some that are immune to this. And what's really weird is our big business to business customers. Pretty much every single one of the schedulers or purchasers I deal with is female. And I would yeah. much rather, if I had to pick, I would much rather deal with a female in scheduling and purchasing than a male. Why? Because based on my experience, it's typically more organized and follows a pattern if it's female. I don't know why. I mean, maybe that's just a coincidence, but it just seems there's just more reason and understanding, I guess. You don't you don't you don't get someone calling and just screaming at you for no reason, you know? Interesting. I just I was like shocked when you picked up the phone to tell me this the other day cuz I Well, I know like, you didn't think I noticed something... it? No, I think most men walk around not realizing that this happens and this happens all the time. Oh yeah, I notice it <laughs> every day. It bothers the crap out of me. Because Abby and it... I talk to each other about it all the time, but I just I I had no idea you knew. Because it's inefficient, that's why. You know, because I'm not really an emotional person, and I don't, in terms of, uh, like, feelings. And I don't really, um, I think you know me well enough. I don't really care about how people feel. I'm not worried about hurting people's feelings. So I'm not coming at it from a standpoint like, oh, I feel sorry for Abby and Chloe. I just look at it like, in the grand scheme of things, it's just so inefficient and just disrespectful to you guys or others, other women, just based on the fact that you guys know how to do your job and so people should just listen to you, you know? Like, yeah, it just doesn't make any sense to me. It's a waste of time otherwise. So, so basically, mm -hmm. I just need to sit at the front desk myself. Right. Okay, that's oh, going to be really... customers would love that. That's going to be really efficient. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, like, I'm going to be less nice about it. Yeah. You know? Like, you guys will be nice and kind of sugarcoat stuff and, and kind of, like, you know, make them feel happy about getting slapped in the face with an eight-week lead time. I'll just be like, <laughs> it's eight weeks, and they'll if they, like, smart off or whatever, I'll just be like, okay, take it somewhere else. You know? I don't care. Right. If you're, if you're going to be a butthead about it and we're that busy, you know, then and you're bringing in a piece that you – that's – this you know this big and only gonna cost five dollars and you're gonna give me a hard time so it's just like it just it's it just makes more sense all around to i would want to deal with you guys who would want to come in really really <laughs> even like especially customers that know me who would want to come in and have to deal with me wouldn't you do everything possible to avoid dealing with me in person <laughs> Because everybody knows in person, if you're if you're catching me in person at the shop, it's not usually not a good exchange. I mean, I don't know. Right? I mean, there's a couple people that'll be a good exchange, but most people, it's I'm short and to the point, and you know, because I'm busy. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not a good customer facing person. Right. I'm okay huh. with it through e with email and stuff. But not when I, not right in the thick of it when I'm working on things, you know. 
I guess I see it from the perspective of the guy who's been like restoring this vehicle for the last two years and he's put his heart and soul into it and it's all he cares about. He wants to make sure he's getting it done right. Like he doesn't care if you don't want to be a, you know, sweet sugar coated customer facing person. Like he wants answers from you that he can believe. Yeah. You know, versus looking at me like this girl doesn't know the first thing about my car. Like she doesn't care about my car. Like she's not going to help me get it done. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I do see it from their perspective. Like if it's a passion project, they want to talk to the expert. They don't want to talk to the customer service person. I think our customer service people are experts. That's, <laughs> that's what I, that's the last thing I have. What is it? Forrest Gump. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Let's make Abby a t-shirt that says, I know what I'm saying. Yeah. So our guest today is a guy that I really, really admire and appreciate. And um, even though I haven't really known him for very long, it's been most of the time that I've worked full-time at Kaiser. His name is Al Lurch. I got to know him um, through basically purchasing packaging materials. And um, he's kind of turn into a guy that I will just ask random questions of for advice and things. And, uh, it always seems like he has my best interests in mind. So I think of him more, uh, than a sales rep to me. Um, but how are you doing this afternoon, Al? Uh, great, Jace. I'm, I'm doing fine this afternoon. Uh, after the big win with Nebraska, I think I'm even doing better. So yeah, that was great. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, Nebraska won? I'm behind. Yeah. Last night. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. By one point, which was as good as ten points. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, that's it, gotta it, feel good. It's been a long time coming. Oh, has it ever? Yes, you're right. There yeah, was, we in the worst way. I so. saw a stat. A stat came up on the screen. That's the first back-to-back -back Husker win since 2018. It said, "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they needed it really, really bad. So. Yeah, that's a good thing. Wow, good. Things are looking up. All right. So. That's great. Well, Al, we just wanted to um, jump in and talk about um, who you are as a person and actually don't know a lot of the answers to these questions. So if you could start by telling us originally where you're from. Originally, I was raised on a farm near Howells, Nebraska. And uh, that's uh, not too far away from uh, Schuyler or Columbus, Nebraska. And now we live in Shelby, Nebraska, which is about 20 miles away from Columbus. How, uh, clo how close is that to uh, like Grand Island and Donovan? Lincoln? No. It's how about 60 miles, 60 miles either way to Grand Island and to Lincoln. Okay. It's not too far away. It's an easy drive because we can go down the interstate and uh, save a lot of time. And uh, I do have a relation living in Lincoln, and uh, my uh, children live in Omaha. So um, the, the uh, thing that uh, most people have never heard me say is that uh, when I was born, I was born in 1947, which is uh, too long ago for most people to remember, but uh, when I was born, uh, I came home and the lights were on. And that's the first electricity we had in our farmhouse. 
1947. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think the Indians were still out there, but I'm I'm pretty sure that the first time they had uh, lights was that day. So. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's amazing. So, do you have siblings? Yes, I had uh, two brothers and a sister. Yes. Is the farm still in the family, or has that left at this point? Uh, no, my. Uh, my father passed away at a, a young age, and uh, my mom uh, then moved to Columbus and stayed there. So we, uh, we, uh, you know, when I was overseas, actually, is when the farm got sold. So uh, it was uh, something I didn't really expect, but it happened. So, but I was in the service at the time, so it was all right. It was okay. I didn't know you served. Can you give us a timeline of like your educational and service background? I uh, I entered the Air Force after graduation. Uh, of course, the draft was in for the Vietnam War at that time. So I enlisted for four years with the uh, United States Air Force. And in 1968, I was deployed to uh, Da Nang, Vietnam. Spent a whole year there. And uh, when I returned, I... Uh, I was stationed in Melmstrom Air Force Base in Montana. And after that, I returned to Nebraska and uh, began my working career. I, I actually worked at a metal fabrication plant for 14 years. And then in uh, 1984, I joined with my wife in our new adventure, which was a printing industry. Uh, it turned out that that would be Mary's lifetime career and my beginning in sales. So around nine years later, we sold our printing business, and being familiar with the paper industry, I joined Carpenter Paper as a salesman. So that's kind of how things set up pretty easily for us. Pretty easily. That was a very interesting <laughs> thing that you just... Okay, so when you were... How old were you when you got drafted to the Vietnam? 18. 18. 18. Wow. Okay. So, and so yeah. at that time, you are still... Um, just and, got out of high school. And so you're yeah. still in like Howells, Nebraska, right? Yes, okay. correct. And yeah. so, and then you said Air Force. Does that mean that you were like flying planes? No, actually I was in um, more more of a, I guess if you knew the Navy a little bit, it would be called the Seabees. We uh, did a lot of construction work. So we were engineers. Okay. And that's where uh, our, our group, I was, I was with a special group in Vietnam called the Red Horse Unit, which we were really not part of the air base because at any given time, if we needed to move and start building a new uh, site in the middle of nowhere, that's what our job would have been. But at that time, Da Nang Air Base was fairly small. And uh, so we really uh, almost doubled the size of uh, that air base in one year. So wow. it was quite the, quite the year though, so I can remember. So when you were that age, like if that would have happened to me, I'd have been scared out of my mind if I would have had to go do that. What was your work? Well, when when uh, when I was uh, I was stationed in Illinois for a little bit before I went to Vietnam, but uh, before I then went to Vietnam, I went to Florida, and we had uh, uh, six weeks of jungle training that we went through, and then we flew directly over from uh, Florida to. Uh, to uh, Da Nang Air Base over in Vietnam. So it was a long flight. But uh, yeah, um, when the first uh, 
two nights after the first night I was there. Uh, the second night we uh, we had uh, incoming rockets, which we throughout the year ended up having like 56 different times that we had uh, rockets that were launched at our air base. So it was uh, at times, yes, it was noisy and scary and uh, all of the above. So yeah, something What's that involved in jungle training. I'm curious. Yeah, um, actually, which was uh, uh, we were a, a unit that if we were going to start a new Air Force base somewhere other than one that was already set up, we would take all of our, our skills and, and head out to the jungle and create a new landing strip or a new air base or whatever we needed to do. So that was uh, part of our job over there, plus... We uh, also had the, the Marines and the Navy and, uh, and everybody that was in the services at that time also stationed up at Denae. So it was, uh, yes, to, to say so interesting, yeah. So it was yeah. like running machinery and, and moving stuff around by hand, probably with shovels and whatever, but then also building structures with like buildings yeah. with wood and stuff like that? Yes, we did a lot of uh, uh, buildings. Actually, to tell the truth, uh, uh, where we were stationed, we had, there was a number of different people involved in our group. I was more or less into the heating and air conditioning type things, and it was always hot over in, in uh, Vietnam. So uh, uh, I did a number of air conditioning things for uh, the, you know the generals and things that were up there. Plus, we had a unit that went up to the uh, mountains and uh they had a large uh, uh base up on the top of the mountain where you could uh watch the radar people uh they, they could scan the whole country of of north and south vietnam so it was kind of a, a place that uh they needed to have some cooling down which was something that most people didn't have until we started getting there but it was uh, a construction outfit we built a lot of uh, buildings that were uh, tin, or I guess you would say uh, like half half of a corn bin, only it went up and around over the top of the jet airplane so that when they launched the rockets in, that it would uh, not ruin the, a couple million dollar aircraft. Wow. So, yeah, we did a, a num number of those things, plus building a a uh, number of buildings. And you said so, you were there for four years? No, I was in uh, one full year. Okay. Land landed on my birthday and left on my birthday. So it was a good day. Wow. <laughs> wow. What does it, I'm curious, uh, I, I certainly, when I was 18, was not, like, faced with my mortality ever. Like, what does it do to an 18-year-old brain to, to deal with that at such a young age? I... Uh, I guess I would, you know, I don't really say too much, but uh, we were actually real close to the mortuary up in uh, in Da Nang. And uh, you could uh, pretty well uh, watch the the airplanes and, and uh, when the they would put the coffins on a, a flatbed semi and when they would uh, fill up the semi then they'd take it to an airplane and uh haul the soldiers home so that part of it was uh i guess you know you'd say you thought a lot about 
mortality. Yes, you did. But uh, wow. it was it was interesting. I also worked with a number of Vietnamese too, so I got to know them pretty well. Had a couple of really good uh, Vietnamese people that I worked with. So they were uh, they're just you know they're normal people just like we are, except the communists want to run them over. So. Did you have any previous construction skills, or were you learning all of this like as you were going? Uh, I had some previous. Yes, skills. Yes, I went through uh, a schooling up in uh, uh, Illinois for uh, about a year and a half. So yes, I did have a, a background in what I was doing. So it, it worked out pretty good too. I was really kind of the only metal fabricator for ductwork and. and uh, yeah, it uh, it taught me well, and I, I learned well. So when and how did you meet your wife? Well, interesting. Mary and I met. She was working at a laundromat in Great Falls, Montana, where I was stationed at Malmstrom Air Force Base. This is after Vietnam. Then I, I always said she did such a good job of ironing my fatigues. I said, hey, I'm going to bring that girl back home to Nebraska. <laughs> so, you can kind of figure out how long the ironing lasted, you know, not too long <laughs> after that. <laughs> but her marriage has been very successful because we've been married for 52 years. So, and she's still doing her sales and, and work with uh, the printing industry. So even though we're a little older, we still like to keep busy. That's great. What's it like running a business with a spouse? I've often wondered. Actually, uh, mine was actually fairly easily. Uh, her background, and she had worked with a printing shop before we started our own. So she pretty much ran the business. Uh, I did a lot of sales and that type of thing in order to get the business. And then uh, uh, I would also do some quoting and uh, things that, uh, you know, to be competitive. And a lot of businesses required quotes in order to do do the work. So uh, as far as actually being in the, the actual printing industry, I did run a, a few small presses and things like that, but uh, nothing major when it came to uh, overall running of the business. My wife pretty well took care of that. And she is very good at it. Very good at it. Uh, she, uh, so what makes, what makes you so good at sales? Because that's how we know you is um, via sales. To tell the truth, I think uh, I've learned that through the years that uh, sales is just really a good relationship with a customer. And not only just knowing about their business, but enjoying to learn about the, you know, the personal lives and their outside interests that they do other than the work that they do. And uh, I, I just, I just feel like I, when I do understand that, I, I like to take the extra effort to understand what makes that customer work and what they need and what they want to make their business successful. So you said that you worked in Metal Fab for like 14 years, and that was after that you came back and you were yes. in Montana. So then you came back to Nebraska and you worked in Metal Fabrication? Yes, I did. I worked uh, as a in a, in a shop. And we did uh, a tremendous amount of uh, 
railing for houses and uh, uh, commercial businesses. Uh, we did a lot of extra type of uh, uh, work doing um, beams and columns and actually, you know, the structures to help build uh, all of the mainframe for the for the buildings and stuff. But uh, we did a lot of different things. I mean, we made everything from tabletops to uh, some chairs and 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 a lot of just normal stuff, a lot of railing, a lot of uh, aluminum spiral and staircases and, and metal staircases and curved stairways and those types of things that, uh, you know, it, uh, it was interesting. And that was part of the, the reason I had uh, uh, the background from the service. I knew how to do most of those things. So, so it worked out real well. So you were like cutting and welding yeah. and grinding and all that? Correct. I did the whole thing from, uh, you know, from the blueprints on everything that needed to be done, uh, manufacturing, you know, making the the railings and everything that needed to be done, plus grinding, finishing, painting. We did the whole oh, thing. Oh, you did painting too? You did coatings? Uh, well, not coating. It's just paint. All right. <laughs> that, that time, there was really not any uh, coatings available that I was aware of. Uh, and that would have been in the 1970. It would have been, you know, right in that area. So that, if you were that, going to paint anything, were you do, with like a sprayer or yeah. a brush? No sprayer. Man, yep. next time we get busy, I'm calling you. <laughs> yeah. Well, nobody said I was really good at it. And <laughs> when I can cover it up with paint, you know, you can cover up a lot of mistakes with some paint. So. <laughs> well, when uh, you, when you retire, I'll have plenty of stuff for you to do. Well, I can well imagine there's and it's you know your work is interesting. I I really enjoy going there and looking at the things that you uh, take care of and do for other people. That's crazy. Uh, I didn't know that you did that. <laughs> so what what made you get out of that after 14 years that's a long time um actually the opportunity for us to get into the printing uh business my wife's um employer uh sold his business and uh, uh my wife had worked at that business and it didn't work out for her to work there so uh decided to start our own which became A&M Printing. Uh, and you're familiar with that, I'm sure. Yeah, we still yeah. we still get stuff from her. So it started with this U two, and then like fifteen we fifteen employees when we sold. Okay. We had a pretty pretty good sized business, um, and we did a lot of work uh, mainly in the Columbus area because there was a, a lot of business in Columbus. You know, uh, Beckton Dickinsons and Dale Electronics, who made transistors, resistors, people like that, and uh, just general business. And they do all of their their forms at that time. Really, computers weren't involved in much of anything. And uh, as we got more and more into the later years, computers started to take over quite a bit of that business. Because so, people could just type it up themselves and print it themselves. Well, they could copy some forms themselves and yeah. do those kind. Of so, uh, but the mass production type of stuff where you were doing, you know, 10,000 of this and 25,000 of, you know, some sales orders or whatever it was, 
then uh, that would come printers do those type of work because yeah. it takes uh, the machines to do that and there's numbering and all kinds of other things involved perforating and and things so and we did a lot of full color work too which was uh kind of a good thing too so like uh, catalogs and magazines and stuff like that yeah we uh we did a lot of catalogs for uh for Dale electronics which is now called the Boucher. Uh, and they uh, sent all of their catalogs worldwide. Uh, and then uh, uh, Balin Manufacturing was there, uh, Beckton Dickinson, the needle manufacturers. They were in Columbus. And so between the, the large companies and the amount of people that worked there and the amount of uh, printing that they needed, uh, we kept pretty busy. So, How many uh, like printing, is it called a press, a printing press, or how many pieces of, I yeah. assume it's like big pieces of equipment, right? To be printing tens of thousands of stuff. Yeah, yeah. We we, uh, we had uh, two large printing presses that would uh, print on uh, uh, seventeen by twenty-two inch sheet of paper. Okay. And and then we had uh, three other presses that we ran smaller things on, and then we had a number a numbering machine, and uh, uh, it did perforations and. Uh, had folders which would fold all the sheets to make booklets and stuff like that. Yeah, we had a we had a nice setup. It was kind of sad when we decided to sell, but you know, like I said, the computer industry came in, and and we either had would have had to uh, really spend a ton of money on electronics and that type of thing, or uh, you know, just kind of stay stable like we were. And in order to to improve. Uh, it would have taken a lot more cash and, and uh, money that we were prepared to put out. I see. So, and how many years ago was that when you guys transitioned out of that? I know Mary still deals with it a lot, but uh, started in 1984 and had uh, nine years. Okay. Yeah, so nine years. Yeah. So. And that's yeah. the point at which you transitioned to carpenter. Correct. Yes, I did. And. Um, I actually worked for Carpenter for, oh, five years, and there was some things that happened, and and uh, I uh, ended up working on my own doing exactly the same thing as I was doing at Carpenter, only under, under the A&M Printing, which was a secondary company to the printing company, and I did that for probably eight, eight years or so, something like that, and then the carpenter people asked me to come back to them, and uh, and I did. I decided that uh, I uh, would rather do that than uh, do a lot of uh, paperwork myself and stuff, I guess you would say, because Mary and I would spend a lot of weekends just doing our billing and everything else that we had to do. So, but uh, it was it was a good good learning experience there too. But uh, like I said, carpenter, I love I like the people at carpenter. They're the owners are, are really, really good people. So. I was just going to ask what a normal day looks like for you. Like, how big is your territory? What industries are you serving? What What does a day look like? Yeah. Um, actually, right now, I've uh, limited myself to, since my age is, is uh, getting up a little bit. But when I, one time when I was still a little younger, I'd go as far as Kearney and Grand Island, Columbus, Norfolk. Lincoln, Schuyler, all points in between the, the, that had a businesses. Uh, you know, there was 
a lot of business out in a certain area, so made a lot of travel time. And I uh, I uh, served a lot of small businesses and, and manufacturers. I mean, I served uh, uh, stuff like I supplied a lot of product to an international popcorn supplier that or producer and a cereal company. Um, and also I would work with state utility companies, courthouse, agricultural-related businesses. And, of course, we got to know Jason and his powder coating business, which was kind of a fun little thing for me to do. How did you, uh, you find us? Because I don't, I, I don't remember how we met. Like, we just, it just actually, happened, but. Actually, I met your dad first. Okay. And then. Uh, what was that uh, like? Dad's, no. dad's is more, um, I know I can be rough and gruff, but he can be even more. So like when you first, did you just walk in one day? Just walked in and introduced myself and told him what the products were that I'd maybe be able to handle for him. And, and uh, I think it was, if I got this memory right, December, and it would have been, oh man, it would have probably been 2014. When I met Dad, and it wasn't long after that I got my first order, and it wasn't long after that when I think you started taking yeah, over. Yeah, that'd be about right. Yeah, because I graduated in 2015 from um, UNL, and that's when I started full time. And I had work; I was kind of working a little bit part time before that. So yeah, that's, that's about sure. Right. Yep. And uh, yeah, and your dad was real receptive, and and. You know, he had a lot of things on his mind other than just the powder coating uh, business because, you know, he did all that other painting and stuff, too. So yep. I, I think he was happy to have you come on board. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully yeah. I made, it, made it easier on him. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, uh, yeah, we uh, I ended up doing, you know, just a lot of different businesses. but. Uh, you know, I kind of cut back on a number of them, so made it a little easier for me. So, so. I, don't, I don't want you to – don't give me a really fluffy answer and make me feel good about myself. I want, like, your your first impression of, like, when you met me and realized, like, oh, he's going to be the one that's going to be buying this stuff. Because I feel like that was about seven, six or seven years ago, so I was – I was really young at that time, and it felt like really most of the people that I talked to, sales reps and stuff, um, since they had already known my dad, they really didn't want to talk to me, or they didn't believe that like I could just place the order. You know, they always it always seemed like that they were being like, "Oh, okay," and that they had to go talk to dad. I never really felt that way with you. Like you gave me like the time of day and respect and you just like if I needed something or was asking questions I felt like you were just comfortable talking straight to me and you didn't think it wasn't like that you were like okay I'll talk to you for now and then I'm gonna go okay with your dad I never felt that way with you others I did but so what what was your kind of thought process on that because I feel like in our industry manufacturing everybody is usually older or at least older than me Mm -hmm. But uh, I think I think what uh, what my philosophy kind of was is that uh, I believed in showing up weekly to uh, to see people, 
and maybe it's uh, they got tired of me or whatever. But uh, I uh, I tried to show up, and sometimes you know uh, you'd catch them where they actually did need something, and so they began to depend upon me coming, and then they would have you know some things that they thought of, and, and they they'd uh, give me some orders or or whatever. But uh, um, when it came to uh, working with you, uh, I, you know, I've seen throughout the years a, a lot of people, okay? And I can say at this time that uh, there's only a few people that I really, really uh, can say that I've enjoyed doing business with. And I know that, uh, that you have the energy and the knowledge and, and you display it well. You know, you're young, you're disciplined, you're, uh, you have a goal to produce a product, you know, and make it nothing but quality and uh, have a little fun along the way. So I, re- I admire you and respect you too, Jace, because uh, for a younger person to uh, do as well as you are doing and as successfully as you are doing, uh, it just kind of makes me smile and say, wow, it's uh, nice to see that. In, in younger people. Well, thank so, you. Yeah. So now put your put your like grandpa Al hat on. I don't know if you have grandkids, but if you were if you were my grandpa and you know me well enough, you know how much I work and how busy we are. What is what is some advice for Jace for the next? I'm 30. I turned 30 this summer, so I'm getting really old now. Um, but what's your advice for Jace in the next five years? Be yourself. Um, don't try to be somebody you're not. Uh, have that goal out in front of you. Uh, continue to strive to work with people. Uh, and I know that when they see you working alongside of them, that I, I think you build that rapport with people that most people who have bosses don't get that type of rapport. But uh, it's I can see that you know you uh, you're not afraid to work. I think that uh, you know the employees that are there respect you, and I know that you put out a good product because there is no way it leaves without your inspection. So yeah, I uh, I see you going a long way, and you'll you'll consider to grow. You'll continue to get, to grow in in your business and. Uh, and you'll you'll have some people that will alongside of you uh, do well, and your your employees, as long as they're by you and and feel as as committed to you as as I feel they do, uh, you'll have com- employees that will stay quite a while. There's people that you know they'll they'll come and go, you know, but you know with patience, a little bit of compassion. Just be yourself. I think you can continue to uh, make that business really, really shine for years and years to come. That sounds good. Al, I'm curious from the perspective of a salesperson, what what makes a good customer? What sets a good customer apart from a bad one? Have you noticed any um, reliable traits? Well, <laughs> I've... I've decided after all of the years and, and all of the things that uh, people that I've met and all of the relationships that I've gone through, 
I, I like doing business with nice people. <laughs> I mean, that's really one of my bottom line right now is, is that I, I feel that if I can go into a place and we can visit and you could tell me, Hey, I'm not getting what I need to get from you or, or whatever. You're, you're, you're at least telling me that, that I'm part of your business. Yeah. And that uh, you'll continue to try to work with me. And even in the future, after things have uh, gone south for pricing or deliveries or whatever, because we're living in a world right now where, you know, the, the, uh, the stuff that we have out there with the, the issues of uh, delivery times and higher costs and tariffs and shortages and everything has a domino effect. And it's uh, tough to sometimes uh, get to the customer what he needs to know. And it's not just you. It covers every industry. I mean, you can look back and you can even say, hey, toilet paper took a hit, you know? So there's a, there's a lot of stuff out there that when when uh, when you do business with people, uh, I think you should, first of all, get to know them, get to know their families a little bit. Uh, maybe not through personal contact with the families, but, you know, what, what do you do to have fun? You know, it's, it's work is work, but Hey, have some fun in life too. And, uh, you just, I'm sure that, uh, that you already know the people that when they come in, they're going to be, uh, either a good employee or they're going to be there for a short period of time. But, you know, if you can just give them a little bit of time to, uh, perform, you know, maybe there's some hidden talents there that uh, you can bring out in them. And uh, that's the kind of uh, the boss that, you know, you believe that uh, there's good in everybody, too. So that's that's my philosophy about, you know, I like to do business with really nice people. Speaking of that, I just I just am curious. So having managed a printing company, I assume you've done a lot of hiring in your years. Oh yeah, yeah, yes. And as a matter of fact, it, as as I was saying, you know, some people have capabilities and other people don't. I mean, we've hired people that had skills uh, and they fit perfectly. Uh, and we've also hired some people that, and this is this is something that I I didn't have a problem with, and it was really one of my personal choices. I hired a guy that had uh, just gotten out of prison, and I wanted to give him a break. And, uh, he, he came to work and, and he ended up doing fairly well, but, uh, in the long run, he didn't learn the business real well, but I ended up, uh, suggesting that he go to an, another company that I knew and they hired him and he's, he, uh, he stayed on with that company for quite some time. So, yeah, we've, uh, we've had a lot of different, uh, people work for us. Um, people, like I said, that, uh, didn't have the the uh, learning skills to to uh, really help out but you give them a chance at least i think we like most employers in the world are trying to grow the team and it's been increasingly difficult and i'm just curious um what kinds of traits you looked for in in folks that you hired well um first of all i i think when you when you meet someone you really get a kind of a first impression to start with. And, uh, and then you, uh, you may ask, you know, hey, do you think you could fit in with my employees? Uh, 
uh, are you willing to do different types of jobs? And uh, and do they present themselves as a as a team player? You know, if if uh, they're going to be there and and uh, try to make your business successful, uh, I think you just have to have that inside feeling of when you hire somebody, you you are, are taking a chance, but yet you kind of feel that they may fit in pretty well. So nothing is is given on any of that type of thing, but a little patience and it'll go a long way. And trial and error also. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So I just I just want to go back to uh, Carpenter, if we can. I'm curious um, what kind of products you're selling, because we know you for like packaging supplies. And I think we also order like paper towels and such from you. What um, what falls under the paper umbrella? OK, uh, actually, Carpenter, um, they have an online catalog, first of all, uh, on their website. It's CarpenterPaper.com. And uh, I, I can offer just about anything and everything from, from packaging foams, uh, bubble wrap, stretch films, tapes, paper supplies, wipers, toilet paper, full line of cleaning supplies, uh, steel strapping. I mean, there's just a, an unlimited amount of things that uh, Carpenter handles. So I'm, I'm curious, um, for any powder coaters who are listening, can you talk a little bit about the, the various packaging materials you might supply to someone in our industry and what are some of the advantages and disadvantages? Well, for you, um, mostly the, the polyfoams are, are what you use, and, and those be, are available uh, in multiple sizes and thicknesses. And... Uh, they uh, they'll definitely help you in preventing damage to your shipping and handling, and uh, it'll it'll be a great cushioner, and it'll be a, a barrier for air and moisture at times if you use the right one. I think that uh, you know with the different types of foams that are out there. I mean, you have electronics that are are static free foam, and all types of different foams that are are various thicknesses and. Some have paddings on the back of them to prevent moisture seeping in and stuff like that. One of the things I think about the disadvantage may be that uh, most of the time it's a it's a one-time product. You know, you just don't get to reuse it, and uh, that's that's really about the only thing I can say about it, the disadvantage for that because uh, uh, it it does its job and uh, it's supposed to do its job. I'll put it that way. And uh, it just helps prevent uh, any damages that uh, that would occur. One thing that I've been thinking about when it comes to foam is, like, obviously, eventually, it just gets thrown away. And we use so much of it that sometimes I think, like, man, all this is ending up in a landfill somewhere. Are there is there foam technology um, coming along that it's still a good quality foam and can protect the part, but then, like, I guess... I want to say environmentally friendly, but that's kind of a broad term. Is there is there a foam that kind of like breaks down well once once it's done and been used? There are a few foam products like that that will break down in landfills and things, but most of all the the ones that are used right now, uh, not too many of them break down. It's just the the way things are. Because, uh, because if you get one that breaks down well then it 
doesn't do as good a job of protecting in the packaging portion. Is that kind of how it is right now? Correct, and, and especially if that product is going to sit outside and, you know, may have some issues with uh, moisture or, you know, snow or yeah. whatever. Yeah. You know, you're just, uh, at the mercy of, uh, of a well, sheet of foam like that. But it, it is available, but it is more expensive also. So, yeah. But uh, it's a green product, that's for sure. That's interesting because I know, so Jace has talked about on social media before, um, about how you can't have your powder-coated parts come in too much contact or really any contact with cardboard. Is that accurate, Jace? Yes, yeah. it is. Yep. Yeah, it's, uh, okay. yeah it, it, it rubs against it, and and, uh, and anything that will rub you know, one against each other, you're going to get uh, some abrasiveness and they'll lose it with the powder-coated. Yeah, I always compare the if you just set something on cardboard and then ship it a powder coated part and you ship it somewhere, it's, it's just like having a piece of sandpaper almost like obviously the cardboard isn't quite mm -hmm. as rough, but it just sits there and rubs against it. And then it just rubs right through the coating. But if you put foam in between the cardboard and the part, then it seems to protect it really well. And you don't have that issue where it's just r rubbing and wearing and having friction on the part. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, there's so many types of foams that even they they form to the actual uh, contours of the of the pieces and stuff. But those are really expensive uh, parts of foam. But for uh, for something that is uh, really uh, uh, expensive, I guess you would say that uh, a lot of people kind of go to that type of thing. But for most general manufacturing, most foam is is used for exactly what Jace uses it for too. I'm just curious for a job shop that's just getting started and is doing kind of general public like lawn furniture sort of projects, what items do you recommend they have in their packaging toolkit at all times? Um, I would say that uh, especially if you're you're going to have any type of paint coating or, or powder coating or any type like that, you're going to definitely want to have some type of a foam. And also I think... Uh, if you can and you can make it work, once you put that uh, two products together between with the foam in between, then some stretch wrapping to uh, hold it in place and uh, so it doesn't move. Uh, I would say that those are some of the things that probably would help. Uh, there's, you know, a, a number of different types of stretch films too. So That's really interesting. Um, so I have a few sort of human interest questions for you because you spend a lot of your time interacting with people um, in various roles, right? Like obviously um, in your time in, in the military, the Air Force, and then ever since then as a salesperson, I'm curious, what have you learned about humanity in the course of your career? Um, what I really kind of find out is that, you know, there's really good in, in everybody. Uh, you just got to look for it sometimes. Uh, most people really want to interact with other people. Some, you know, feel they fall short because they really can't, uh, uh, you know, put themselves forward to where they feel comfortable, I guess you would say. And uh, even at times, I still get that way too, because, you know, it's there are some power buyers and stuff out there that, you know, they, they really uh, work on you pretty hard and, 
and uh, you know this they'll they'll do things for a penny, you know. And so uh, when you can't find a, a product that you can actually sell, then uh, you you really kind of lose faith in uh, have I done my sales well enough, or have I you know done all I can to find the uh, product that I can sell to them for for a you know that they can use at a at a good price. But today's today's world is a lot different. I'll say that. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, have you ever seen anything like the supply shortages we're encountering right now? We still go through all kinds of supply shortages. Um, uh, there are certain things that are out there for three months, four months, depending on certain tapes. And, uh, you know, there's uh, stretch films that time uh, is hard to get. And then uh, it's not made real close either. A lot of places are in Florida, Texas, and, and places like that. And there are manufacturers that produce from overseas too. But uh, I prefer not to use uh, any type of uh, uh, foreign materials that uh, if I have a problem with them, I can't go back to the manufacturer very easily and get much help. So I try to use uh, uh, companies in the United States and uh, the, the people that can handle and help me with them. So if you go back um, to when you guys were doing your printing business, so it's been 20 years ago, 30 years ago, um, <laughs> or a long time ago. So, but... You know, like obviously we've had all the supply chain issues and it's hard to get stuff. Was it was it hard? I feel like back then there was the supply chain wasn't as big. Like there was more there was more inefficiencies, there was less technology, so it probably took a long a longer time to get things then. And then over time we, everything got more and more technologically advanced, so we're able to get stuff really, really fast. And then when all the supply chain stuff happened, everybody's used to getting it immediately or just in time or that it's always in stock and now it's not anymore. Um, is it like what we're dealing with now? Did that used to be a little bit more of the norm? Like I know when it's getting like six months or a year out on something, that's not normal. But right. I, I feel like in the past, it probably wasn't that everything was readily available that you could get the next day like everybody wants it now but you could get it within a, a fair amount of time okay uh, yes I, I think we're way way farther off now than we used to be okay uh, we could get products for the printing industry paper or whatever we needed at any given time because there was multiple suppliers and, and things like that but uh, as far as right now it's it's so hard to get things coordinated from the factory to uh, the distributor to the customer. It's uh, not easy to to get timeframes that everybody can use. And, and today's world, that some you know, most it went through that where you actually had to have stuff on the floor for the customer. And uh, if you didn't, you lost that business. Well, right now, nobody has the product on the floor to get to the customer because this this. Uh, trade business has really got us going with the, the shortages and uh, everything that goes on. I, I'm, I don't see it really recovering 
very well for a, a while yet. I mean, it's it's. I think it's coming out of it a little bit, but not as much as it should be. I see. So with all that in mind, I'm curious what advice you'd give to folks who are considering getting into sales as a career. You know, to to uh, get into sales, I think uh, you uh, you have to be yourself first of all. I don't I don't want to try to be something I'm not. Uh, I want to be uh, polite. I want to be uh, uh, there for the customer when he needs me. I uh, want to be able to uh, understand the needs and know the product. Definitely know the product as much as you can. And then uh, just uh, be uh, be the person you really are. And don't lie about anything. Lying will always come back and get you on whether or not you can get the product to the customer or whatever. Just, you know, always tell the truth and, and say this is the way things are right now. And uh, just be yourself. Being yourself is probably the biggest thing because if you're not, uh, not true to people, they uh, they'll feel it. They'll understand that you know you're not the person they really wanted to to work with. So yeah. So along those lines, um, I'm curious. There's just there's such a short list of people that Jace is like so happy to see all the time, <laughs> um, because we have a lot of reps drop by, you know, and he's busy. And like you're one of the few that he is always just happy to see. I'm curious how you accomplished that. I think what. What it was is persistence to start with that uh, I, I really believe that I put myself in front of the customer. And so I would be there almost every week unless, you know, something happened that I couldn't be there. And then uh, just um, being able to understand what he needed and to go back and try to find answers to the questions that he had. We tried a number of things that uh, we worked with, but... Uh, he, he ended up being with what he's wa working with, and I think it's worked out best for him. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, manufacturers out there that do a lot of different things, but uh, not everyone is uh, specialized in, in what you need. So he, he's done a good job. He's, he's You can always tell he's very good at what he does, very pleasant, and uh, I, I just enjoy going out and seeing him. Well, one of the reasons why that um, Al is one of the people that can get through the, um, what do you call it, the gatekeeper, right, that Abby will let through is because, like he said, he would, in the beginning he showed up consistently. But there's a difference between showing up every week just to be there for a quick minute to say, do you need anything, can I help you? There's a difference between that and coming in every week and trying to have something new that you're trying to sell me and ask me a ton of questions and take up a lot of my time. There's a lot of times where Al would show up and um, if I was, I wouldn't even know that he was there or barely. You know, he would, he could tell I was busy, and he would talk to someone in the office, whoever was at the desk, and he might see me walking across the lot and just wave. Or I might be walking by and he'd say, hey, do you need anything? And I'd say, just nope, real short answer because I was in the middle of something. And he'd just be like, okay, see you next week. And he wouldn't try to like stop me and corral me and make me talk to him. 
if I was yeah. if I was available to talk to him and in a good mood and wasn't busy, he could tell. And we'd stand there or, or be in my office and we talked for five or ten minutes. And it wouldn't yeah. even be about sales stuff. And and that's why it worked. And he wouldn't he wouldn't get mad if I was short or we barely got to talk. He'd just come back the next week, you know. And and I have really appreciated that. And so that's why when he shows up, I want to see him and talk to him because I know that he's not there to BS me. He's there to help. And if I, to his point, when he said we've worked on a lot of things together, we did. If I had something that I wanted to try or needed some help with, he would actually go do the research and find a couple options. And if he couldn't find anything, he'd be honest and say, Jace, I can't find anything on this. I can't, I probably could get it for you, but it's going to be way too expensive because we don't normally stock it. We'd have to bring it in really special. So I, that's just probably not going to work. Here's maybe some other options that you, that we could offer you, or here's another product that you could try from somewhere else. Because I know that these guys, that's all they deal in all day, every day, and they've got it ready on the shelf. And I appreciated that. He would always give me, you know, and still does the, the truth that like the correct answer and he'd be he's doing it to like give me the best result it's not he's not trying to get the best result for himself he's trying to get the best result for us and i've always really really appreciated that and it's been a pleasure too it really has because uh like i said uh i i enjoy coming to see you and and you know when the COVID and stuff hit, that really put a lot of damper on a lot of things and everything kind of ended up being phone work, you know. I missed that, but, uh, you know, that uh, personal get-together and stuff like that. But uh, it's, uh, it's a, like I said, it's a different world, and, and things are done a little differently now these days. But, uh, boy, I still enjoy coming out and seeing people. We always love seeing you, so hopefully we see you soon. You will. You will. I can guarantee. I can guarantee you, you will see me within a short period of time. Okay. All right. That sounds good to me. Well, yeah. Th thanks for uh, being on our podcast. I really appreciate it. Like I said, you're you're more than just a sales rep to us. We really appreciate you. And I always appreciate your advice. So thanks for taking time to do this on your Saturday. And Chloe, nice to talk to you again. Likewise, Al. Such a pleasure. So we have, uh, like we normally do, we do a, a comment from social media. Um, sometimes they're argumentative and things. This is from uh, Mila. So she comments a lot on our LinkedIn posts. Um, she's been around the powder coating industry for a really long time and has a lot of accolades and is obviously knowledgeable based on the comments that she leaves. Most of the time, um, she's trying to help clarify things that I say that aren't necessarily 100% correct, even though I thought that they were. So she's usually, um, so she's usually raining on my parade, but we have a comment from her today where I actually posted something 100% correct, apparently. And uh, she says, <laughs> it, auto, it auto corrects. So pardon the name, but James, you are completely right. So that made my day. So I, when I saw that, I printed the comment immediately, and it's on my refrigerator now. Um, and then it says, we were talking about thermoset and thermoplastic powder coating. So she says, put it simply, thermoset coating can't change chemistry. 
after it cures and thermoplastic can. So most of the powders we spray are thermosetting. So once it does a cure cycle, if you heat it back up, it's not changing again. But thermoplastic, it will. Um, thermo set has a grip on the metal surface chemically, she says. So that, like that's why pretreatment is important. So thermoset has like a chemical um, bond to the metal. And thermoplastic doesn't have as good of adhesion. Not, not, uh, not nearly as dependent on pretreatment. Um, so really pretreatment probably not improving the adhesion very much on a thermoplastic. So it's really important to blast parts before you do thermoplastic coating. So she said, since we have the Kaser has the ability to blast, we actually could probably offer quite a few thermoplastic coatings that others couldn't because we could still get the adhesion that we need. Um, but both thermosetting and thermoplastic powder coatings can be applied electrostatically through the guns that we use. And so if you've ever seen the lawn furniture or the park, like a, a children's playground park, all of that is usually coated with kind of a thick, almost gooey, gummy type coating. That's like thermoplastic or dishwasher racks. It's not sticky, but you can you can feel it. You can put your fingernail into it, and it kind of dents in, and then kind of dents back out, basically, and looks normal again. That's thermoplastic. Thermosetting is what a typical powder coating is. So, like thermosetting, like will chip, right? So powder coating usually will chip if you drop it. Thermoplastic probably isn't gonna chip because it's it's kind of gummy. You know, it might you might cut into it and you might be able to tear it away maybe, um, but it's gonna hold up a little bit better to beating and banging around, which is probably why stuff in parks is um, coated with that because it is more durable. It, it's not like it's chipping off all the time when stuff's hitting up against it. From an application perspective, would we have to do anything differently to our setup in order to be able to spray that stuff? Or is it just a different powder and that's it? You know, there's probably a little bit, but I think for the most part, it's it's pretty much the same. Meaning like when, when Mila said that, you know, we can, they both spray electrostatically, that would mean they both can go through our gun. The settings probably have to change a little. Um, but, but I think it's just the powder chemistry itself that's different. There may be a few minor things maybe that we have to change. Probably film thickness would be different and how we're, the spray patterns that we're going to utilize to put it on. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, I don't know that we'd have to go buy new equipment to do it. Okay. I was just curious. All right. Well, that app wraps up KazerCast episode 26. It was a good one with Al. Appreciate him taking the time to do that with us. And uh, I'm looking forward to, he said he's going to be stopping by soon, so I'm looking forward to seeing him. Um, Abby will actually let him through, because he always gets let through. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to actually talking to a salesperson at the office coming up soon. Most of the time I'm dreading that, but <laughs> looking forward to this yep. one. It's rare. All right, we have one off. No, we don't have an off week. We have a very special episode coming up on episode 27. It's going to be less coatings oriented, um, but it should be very good. It should be very interesting. 
more wisdom. We're on a trend of wisdom right now. Al just yep, started human it. Interest. Yep. So Al just started it. Um, and we are going to continue that on next week. So stay tuned.